There we go. No, we're good. Okay. <coughs> Whew, okay. We are good to go. That's going on the center. All right, cool. Not first Corinthians. <laughs> Luke twenty three <coughs> verses twenty six through thirty one, as it says on the board. Well done. <laughs> As they led him away, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turned to them, Jesus, turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the women without children, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us into the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Lord Jesus, give us revelation here this morning. Lord, I pray right now that, uh, Lord, that you would fill this place with your presence. Lord, that you would, Lord, that you would cast out all presence of the enemy, Lord. I pray against the enemy and his works and all of his effects. Lord, all of the assignments against this morning are canceled. And Lord, your, your kingdom is here. Lord, your assignment, your will be done in this place during this time right now, Lord Jesus. And I pray your, your, uh, your presence would fill each word that we, that we are, are hearing and experiencing here this morning. God, lead us. Speak through me, Lord. I am your mouthpiece, Lord, to speak to all of us, including myself, Lord Jesus. And I pray right now uh, all these things in the powerful and maj- majestic and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. If I can get this thing working again. <clears throat> there we go. So this morning, talking about the subject, Jesus heals all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds. Now we might be talking about you know this morning, you know, this weekend I you know cut myself on my on my finger here, and and I uh, I cracked open my heel because I was super dry. And you know what kind of wounds are we talking about here? Are we talking about you know these physical wounds? Are we what are we talking about that Jesus heals wounds here today? Um, and, and what is the question? Like, the question I want to ask here this morning is, why and how? Like, it seems weird that, like, Jesus would have to go through all of this stuff to heal us when he could just be like, you're healed. Like, he chooses to forgive us because he just chooses to forgive us. Like, why did he have to go through all this crap in order for us to be healed? In order for us to be reconciled to God? What was it about all of these things that Jesus was doing that made us right? That made all things new? That communicated his love? How did this show God's love? I think in our, in our culture and society today, we've lost the art of the prophetic expression. We've lost the, 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 the figurative expression or the, um, you know, like, for instance, like, you know, uh, back, it was like a few months ago, some dude, like, took wedding cake and dressed up and, like, threw the wedding cake at the Mona Lisa. 
And, you know, thankfully it's like protected by glass and then another glass that's like, you know, 10 feet behind this way. And it's like super protected. And so it wasn't going to do anything to the actual painting itself. Um, because they learned their lesson. Because so, someone, it was exposed and someone threw acid on it. A long time ago, like, you know, back in, you know, 100 years ago or so. Um, and so this whole like expression, but it's like this symbolic expression or this poetic expression. This fulfilling scripture, like, why did it have to be that way? Why did he have to go through all these different things? Well, this morning I want us to talk about it and to see how Jesus is giving us pictures, imagery, um, this, this direct, his actions speak louder than words ever could. Versus God saying, I forgive you. He showed he forgave us. He, instead of God just saying, I love you, he showed us what love meant. And that's the interesting thing about Jesus. You know how many times Jesus said, I love you? Jesus didn't say, I love you one time. He said, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus saw his love as what he did, not what he said. He showed us the Father by what he did. He taught us how to live and explained to us our intellectual minds by speaking to us to understand, but Jesus was all about action and doing and expressing. And that's a difference between the Western culture of the ancient Near East, like Israel and Egypt and all these things, and Westernized America. Even the Roman Empire during that day, because America is basically a copy-paste of Egypt and Rome. We are the Roman Empire in the 21st century. This is what America is today. That is literally the Roman Empire in so many different ways. We actually fashioned our culture around the Roman Empire. There's letters in history that show, oh yes, we stole this from the Romans. They did it, we should do it. Their democracy, their senate, so we, we're going to do those same things politically, economically, and socially. Right? Even the concept of outlaws came from the Roman Empire. And so, with all these things, Jesus is very expressive in what he does. To show his love, not just speak his love. So I think we have a lot so that we can learn here to this morning. So let's, look at, let's kind of take, take this, this passage apart here a little bit. <clears throat> In a good way. <laughs> let's look at chapter, uh, the, the very first verse right there. As they led him away. <clears throat> so it's kind of interesting. Luke is the only one that doesn't really describe or mention the actual occurrence of the scourging, the whipping, the flogging, that the, you know, the beating by the Romans that Jesus suffered. Possibly because Mark and Matthew had already come out, and so he's like, they already covered it, we're good. Um, and so as we come, as we come to this, this passage here, there's a lot of subtext that we need to, uh, need to kind of weed through and, and to look at. <clears throat> I mean, he, he threatened it in verse 16. If you look at that, therefore I will have him what whipped. Or as I said, or, or uh, paiduo, disciplined, or taught a lesson, basically. Um, and so it makes us ask the question, you know, as they led him away, they seized Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country, and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. Well, why? Why, why, why did Jesus have to carry? Why well, couldn't he carry it? Well, let's look, at it. let's look at all the subtext. He hasn't slept in like 48 hours. 
Because he's been, you know, he's been up, he's being tried, he's being thrown to one person to the next, he's been beaten repeatedly all night during the trial by the Jewish rulers and the, the, uh, the, 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 the temple guard. They keep walking him back and forth to different places, from the Mount of Olives to the temple, to the, you know, to the place where Caiaphas and the, the, the chief priests were, then hiking him all the way across town to Herod, and then hiking him all the way back to Pilate, as we talk, saw last week. And along the way, being beaten, being thrown, you're probably like, oh no, he tripped. <laughs> right? Oh, it was a door. No. You know, be, he's, being, he's been severely beaten and scourged by the Romans. And as we know from the other gospel accounts, he had a crown of thorns shoved onto his head. Oh, I should have brought it this morning. I was, gonna, I pl- I was planning on having it here so you could see one. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll bring it. <laughs> And Jesus would have been weakened. Think about this. All of the... It's not just physical. Think about this. He's been treated, mistreated, mistrialed, used and abused physically, yes, but mentally as well. Bringing false accounts. Like if someone came in here and said, Alan did this! Alan killed my uncle! Who are you? Like... I've never killed anyone in my life except for deer and elk. I missed one last week, or last year. <laughs> but, like, falsely accused, I'd want to rise up and defend myself. If someone, you know, was falsely accusing, so it's like this mental anguish as well. And then emotional anguish, just challenging him and berating him, mocking him. Oh, if you're truly the Son of God, who pro- you prophesy, who hit you? Like challenging who he is and the power of what he can do. You know, you'd be like, prophesy, who hit you? You, you know, <laughs> Sean, <laughs> I know about your, what your kid did this morning. <laughs> you just see that. You're just like, he was like, what? You know, you're just see him actually being able to prophesy that, but holding it in. And we'll get to, that, get to the reason why here in a bit. But Jesus was weakened so much at this point, emotionally, mentally, physically, from all the trauma and blood loss over the last 36 to 40, you know, even just the last eight hours, nine hours. So let's talk about that scourging a little bit here this morning. There's a few different forms of this capital punishment. So... Scourging itself is the most severe. So there's, there's three different things. And actually, they would they escalated this with Jesus. So there was uh, fusigato, which is beating. This is basically just the, you know, the guys just ganging up on him, having like the, the, you know, kind of the boxing, you know, Roman boxing gloves, and just duking it out with his face, his, his, his torso. The flagellation, the flag, excuse me, flagellatio, which is flogging. This is being bitten up, being uh, beaten with sticks or with straps, like leather straps. Uh, <clears throat> so that's like the, you know, being fla- um, f- flogged, you know, the word being flogged, the flogging. Um, and so this is actually what the Jews would do to one another. This was their form of discipline. They would, they would flog you 39 lashes. So it's 40 minus one for them. Now, this is interesting. There's a lot of people that actually I've seen in, in this is that, that people say that this was a flogging but this was the Romans. This wasn't the Jewish authorities. The Jewish authorities wanted the most severe punishment out there. 
And the word that actually they, they use in the other scriptures is verbatio, ver, verbatio, which is severe beating or flogging. Uh, more specifically, being uh, they up, up the ante with the tools of assault. Um, and most of this was done with the cat of nine tails. Um, and so the cat of nine tails <clears throat> is, as you'll see, so it's a kind of a wooden handle with a leather, with leather straps. So it's a cat of nine tails. So there's nine leather straps. And then on this strap, there were pieces, you know, tied in, braided in of bone, like sheep bone, like shards of sheep bone. Um, there were shards of, of, uh, of glass sometimes. Um, uh, there are also, as interestingly, they have the, you see right here, there are like rocks or stones or, you know, metal, you know, lead balls. And, you know, why, why do they do that? Because they are tenderizing to make it softer so they can rip more. Because a lot of times, you'll see it here, you can see this one right here, there are hooks, metal hooks on the end of each one, so that when they would go and hit, it could grip and rip. So we're talking the flesh was literally ripped off of his back, ripped off of his sides, ripped off of his buttocks and his legs. Blood loss, massive, massive blood loss. I was very tempted to show like pictures, but I was, I, you can go, Google it. <laughs> Google it if you want. I didn't want people to throw out their coffee this morning. <laughs> but as you can see, like this is after Jesus was beaten right here in the Passion of the Christ. And this is when he's taunting him with the cat of nine tails. It was so severe that people, that often, you know, many times people died from this alone because of the, the mass, you know, uh, shock to the body. And imagine this. I mean, I just cut my finger and I, I keep like, you know, I was making like garlic aioli and stuff yesterday. Kept getting garlic and I was like, ah! Mm, mm. But imagine open wound, gaping wounds on your back and torso. People would die from it alone. This is why, it's interesting, I mean, Romans didn't do this to each other. This was so too severe even for the Romans to do to one another. This was only for slaves and people of other nationalities. This was only reserved for people who were not Roman because they didn't care about them. It was so severe. It was, it was, um, it was just, it was, it was a brutal, brutal um, thing. In fact, actually, so much so, and how do we know this? Even we can find this out even from our Bibles, because as Paul was about to be scourged, he says this. Uh, so he was arrested for, you know, in, in uh, I can't remember where, he, where he's at at this point. Um, this might be Philip, Philip, or no, this is, this is Ephesus. Sorry, this is Ephesus, I believe. And so they bring him before the legal council as they stretched him out for the lash. That's this, that's scourging. Um, Paul said to the centurion standing by, is it legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and is uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went and reported to the commander saying, what are you going to do for this man is a Roman citizen? The commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. The commander replied, uh, I, I bought, you know, I'm sorry, the, Roman, the commander replied, I bought this citizenship for a large amount of money. But I was born a citizen, Paul said. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. That's a very powerful word, by the way. The commander was too alarmed when he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and had him bound. Because this, if you scourged a Roman citizen, 
you would be then turned around and scourged to death. But it's interesting to compare this. He said, I was, I bought my citizenship. So this guy was probably not even a Roman, you know, an actual Roman citizen. Like he might have been like a barbarian or a Scythian or, a, you know, something or maybe even a slave that got freed and then bought a citizenship. Something you could buy. But, you know, Paul's, one of Paul's parents was an actual Gentile Roman citizen. And his, and his other parent was a Jew, was Jewish, a Jewish woman. I think it was a Jewish mom, Gentile dad, I believe is what it was. And so he was even more of a Roman citizen than even the guy who was about to scourge him. Scourging was horrendous by itself. And so that's why, that's why, all of this to say, this is why Jesus could not carry what's called the stauros, the cross, the stauros. Now, they said carrying his cross, stauros. This word is actually not the cross, the full, as we see over there. So what we see, what stauros is, is just the crossbeam. Now these two different things here. So he would have been carrying just that cross piece on the on the on the on the top there. Um, and so it's interesting because this is a misunderstanding by Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses actually believe that Jesus they they see you know execution pole this or beam is what what this word stauros means. So they interpreted this passage as he was crucified like this on a post. That his hands were, were nailed here and down here. Um, which was another form of crucifixion. Basically, think about the Romans. They were people of opportunity as well. Like, so if they went to, into a village, they wouldn't take the time to build a, you know, wooden cross like that. They would just take them out, take them to a tree, you know, and, and, you know, nail their hands to the, to the branches and nail their feet to the, to the, to the trunk and leave them there to die. That's what I mean. It was basically, or they would like take a couple boards, cross them like this, and actually crucify them like this. They, you know, crucifixion was kind of it wasn't a one size fits all thing. They did it any way, you know, any which way. There's even, you know, there's footprints like this. There's footprints where it goes to the side of the ankle. There, so it's they just wanted to inflict pain and shame on their victims. And so, but this word is describing what Jesus was carrying. He couldn't even carry that. You know, Amberlynn and I built that a few years ago for our Good Friday service, and that sucker's heavy. You know, you know, it's kind of like the whole like man carrying this cross, right? But if he couldn't even carry the top beam, the stauros, because oftentimes what they would do, they would they would make them carry this, especially in established cities like Jerusalem. What they would have is they would have that beam right there, permanently implanted in the ground or in a rock. And actually it's kind of interesting. There is a place today that you can go. This is the in inside the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. This is the Greek Orthodox side. You can see the Roman side over there on the right. But right here in the middle, you can kind of see there's a, a golden plate uh, tucked up tucked up underneath there and there's a hole in it. And you can actually reach down and touch. So there's a square hole about that big and you can reach down and touch the place where Jesus' crossbeam was placed. You can also see on the sides, those there's, you know, in the glass, there's actually boulders. And in those boulders, you see the square holes that the beams would have been placed in. And so this kind of play, this was an execution site. This is where they believe that Jesus' cross, the cross beam was placed. So he would, they would carry the stauros, the cross beam, the, the upper beam, cross beam, and then they would put, him on, you know, put, him, put it down on the ground, nail him to it, and then hoist it up 
and then either nail it, tie it, or that was like, you know, kind of a, a socket thing where they would like place it inside, kind of stick it up on top, and then tack in the feet. That was how they did crucifixion in, in cities. This was a brutal, brutal practice. And this, as right here, actually, if you even imagine this cross, you know, either right there or even just a couple of feet down, they wanted you to be able to see into the eyes of the person. It wasn't very tall. It wasn't like, you know, skyscraper, like, you know, 20, 30 feet up. It was like right there. You could see them and you can read, you could read that warning, the, their crimes on that, on that post. Crucifixion like scourging was not allowed for Roman citizens. Because it was so brutal. That's why Paul wasn't crucified. Paul was beheaded. It was quick and painless. Jesus was so weakened by all this trauma and blood loss that he couldn't even carry the Stauros. Listen to the words of Isaiah. Just let these words, think about these words. Let, Let them kind of enter into your heart. As Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 53, 53:8. See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised up and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up, he grew up before him like a young plant, like a, and like a root out of the dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And here's the... Here's the verse that all this is based on. We are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep, and we all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter or like a, and like a sheep, silent, a, a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression, and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living and was struck because of my people's rebellion. This is scripture passages that Jesus is fulfilling in walking the Via Dolorosa, in suffering, being scourged, being falsely tried, despised and rejected, pierced for our transgressions by his wounds, by the by their scourging, by his stripes, we are healed. Let's talk about Simon for a little bit. This is why Jesus needed the assist, and he was there. 
Jesus was battered and broken physically and physically weak. Cyrene is actually uh, modern-day Tripoli in Libya. So it's on, this, on the, the kind of the south coast of, of uh, the Mediterranean Sea, on the north, north coast of Africa, right there. Um, but it's interesting that, that Simon of Cyrene, in another passage, I believe it's Mark, Mark chapter 15, um, they record two names of his sons, Alexander and Rufus. Um, because the reason why, you know, so when they write things in the Bible, there's a reason. <laughs> so we have these names, we have Simon's name. Because most likely, they subsequently became followers. They became disciples. Either, either during this time or after his resurrection. Maybe they followed. Instead, you know, after he finished carrying the Stauros for Jesus, maybe he stayed and observed and what was going on. But Simon helped Jesus. And he and his whole family were healed. He literally followed. Essentially, like you look at this. It said he picked it up to carry behind Jesus. So Simon literally picked up Jesus' cross and followed him. As Jesus said for us to pick up our cross and follow him. Now, the cross itself, like I said, crosses were not for Roman citizens. It wasn't just a form of corporal punishment and, and killing. This to the Jewish people and to the Christians was a sign of persecution. So when Jesus was saying, pick up your cross, he's saying, take up your persecution along with me. They hate me. They're going to hate you more. Because you're, there's going to be more of you. They're going to love what you do, hate what you say. Simon's life was changed forever. Because here's the thing. You cannot encounter Jesus and leave unchanged. His presence is going to get in. His presence wants to get in. He wants to come in. And what? Bless you. He wants to come in and love you. Lead you. So often, religion is, you know, the Christian faith is just put into the, the, the category of, of law, religion, rules of do's and don'ts. It's not put in the category of joy. It's not put in the category of love, of freedom of flourishing. And why do you think people are so incensed right now to try to take away the church's tax exempt tax credit, try to marginalize the church because for so long the church has been this to society. It has been a guilt trip. It has been a shame trip on this world. And that's not what God did. That's not God's heart. That's not God's desire. Jesus didn't bleed for law. Jesus didn't suffer for shame, to, to heap shame and guilt on you. He didn't die and, and, and suffer like this so that people could sit there and wag their finger at you. Or for us to do that to one another and say, you're not doing this or you're not doing that. He came so that we would be one as He and the Father are one. Love one another as I have loved you. In this way, the world will know that you are my disciples. How you love one another. Our faith is about healing. Our faith is about joy. Our faith is about helping. 
Our faith is about receiving. Our faith is about forgiving. Letting God do the transformative work. We don't have to be the voice of, of conviction in other, in other people's lives. Look what you did. You can't say that. Look what you, what you did last year. As if we're the ones keeping, you know, ha- that have this right to hold something over someone else. We have no right. But that's what the life in the church has been. And that's why people are leaving the church by the millions. Because it's all they've ever experienced. That's why I left. That's why I walked away. But what would it look like? What would it look like for churches to come together in tov, to cultivate good, that, remember the Hebrew word tov? And good is what cultivates what? Shalom, flourishing, life as God created it to be in the Garden of Eden. This is what the church is supposed to be like. Forgiving one another, bearing one another's burdens, forgiving one another, loving one another, serving one another, building one another up in love. Correcting one another when we, when we see our brother in sin so that they will experience joy. So that they will experience God's love. And not the, the crap of this world. It's not loving to say to your neighbor, yeah, you can just keep getting drunk and you know just sleeping around. That's, that's probably good for you. That, that's not love. But the way in which we... Here's the, it's very important. The way in which we do it. You need to repent, you dirty sinner! It's not quite the way that Jesus would do it, probably. Who did Jesus have those kinds of words for? The religious who thought they were holy. Who, what kind of words did he have for the woman who was caught in adultery? The one who he had every right to be like, all right, you're done, messed up. Hey, you know, headshot. The very one who should have, who could have, who they expected him to. I mean, if he's God, he would want this woman to die according to their thoughts. What did Jesus do? He came down, picked her up, and said, Anyone? Crickets? Crickets? Neither do I condemn you either. Go and cut that crap out. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting others around you. Go and be a force of good, not of brokenness. In other people's lives or in your own life. Because we're the ones that hurt ourselves most often with drink or gossip or booze or porn or you name it. Jesus loved. Jesus healed. He still does today. Now let's get to this weird part. <laughs> Daughters of Jerusalem. Okay, why did he say this? all this weird stuff to these women? You know, like the, it kind of all bases on this last verse here. If they do this while the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now, the daughters of Jerusalem. This is probably most likely, I'm about 98% sure, these are not Jesus' disciples. These are women in Jerusalem. That's why he says daughters of Jerusalem, because most of his women were found around Galilee or like over you know, in Bethany. They weren't found in Jerusalem. 
So he's saying daughters of what? Jerusalem. So, you know, this is, you know, they, they were expressing mourning. So these were, you know, this was a common culture, ex, cultural expression. They would yell and scream in certain ways, like crying, wailing out. Uh, as we saw in, in, the, in Lazarus, they hired mourners to help the family to mourn the death of Lazarus. They had mourner, professional mourners that they would pay, and that was culture, because they wanted the family to be caught up into an environment that they were free to mourn. And so we have these mourners. They may, they may have been these mourners, like maybe these professional mourners, um, or just you know people you know just trying, trying to create this culture around what was about to happen to Jesus. Um, why? Because this was a fellow Jewish man suffering under the oppression of the Roman government. They could you know they could have also been supporters, people who heard about Jesus, you know, sympathizers of Jesus and his and his message and his teachings and his ministry, like the healings and stuff, right? But Jesus' Jesus' point is this: to these these Jerusalem women, if they're going to do this to me, whose my mission is in ministry is all about love and peace and healing and restoration, what do you think that they're going to do when Jerusalem is filled and overrun with angry, murderous rebels eager to stir up violence and chaos? What's the thing that I've been talking about that Luke has taught us so much about what Jesus' point was? Jesus preached so much, and he was a kind of an Old Testament type prophet prophesying yet again the destruction of Jerusalem and all of Israel. Right? So he was prophesying these things. You know, 87. That's why he said, what does it say? Look, the days are coming. The days are coming. When what? Days are coming. When they will say, Blessed are the women without children, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. They will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us into the hills, cover us. Now, for them, birth was a sign of blessing, you know, perpetuating and flourishing the Jewish people, God's people. But the reversal shows Jesus' point that you will be better off dead than endure AD 70. Now, if you, if you kind, of, kind of catch up here, like AD 70, what happened is that the Romans came in, there was all these rebels that filled Jerusalem, caused a riot, they started actually having civil war, kind of fighting, infighting in Jerusalem at the time, and they were killing each other, um, <laughs> the Jews inside. But they barricaded themselves inside the city of Jerusalem, closed all the gates, barricaded them, and the Romans were like, all right, we've had enough, This is you're, you're done. You're, we've given you so much patience, but no, you're, you're gone, you're done. And so they sent their, their Roman legions through, you know, through the northern kingdom, killing people along the way from Capernaum, Caesarea Maritima, or Caesarea Philippi, all the way down the, uh, you know, the you know, uh, Sea of, of, of you know, the Jordan, Jordan River, down in, and into Jericho, and then into Jerusalem. And they surrounded the city. They barricaded the city, and they cut off their food supply. They let all the pilgrims come in. They wanted the city full of people during Passover. 40 years later, after Jesus was crucified. They let the city be filled with millions of people. Only several days later to just break in, storm Jerusalem, kill people as they went, slaughtering people. They said that the, the stacks of bodies were so high that the Roman soldiers had to climb them in order to keep advancing. 
They killed over one million people in the course of like a week. And the rest fled to Masada, where they also then killed themselves. Because the Romans built a siege ramp up to Masada, and they, instead of being slaves or tortured, they just decided to kill themselves. No, just like sword, poison, etc. Starvation, etc. This is what Jesus is saying. It is gonna, you, know, you will be better off dead than to endure that. Because Why? Because of what they're doing to him. They rejected their God. They rejected Yahweh, who gave them the word of the law that they're like persecuting him under and saying that he's breaking. No, he's just ticking him off by actually saying what it meant. By, ex- by expressing God's heart of love and mercy. And that's what we're talking about. We've had a Christendom that's been bloodshedding for hundreds of years, guilt-tripping and, and shaming and coercing, controlling us, controlling people, where God's desire was love, forgiveness, peace, flourishing, a people that's there for one another, that gives a care about one another, that sacrifices of their own wants and needs so that it, other people in their brothers and sisters, they call them, their family, can be blessed, can be built up, can be encouraged, being one as God is one. There's actually a fulfillment of Hosea chapter 10. said, the high places of, e- of Aven, or Aven, the sin of Israel will be destroyed. Thor- thorns and thistles will grow over their altars. They will say to the mountains, cover us! And to the hills, fall on us! Conceal us because of all of these suffering." This is prophesying the destruction of Samaria, the northern kingdom, in the 8th century B.C. And like I said, Israel and Jerusalem will once again suffer destruction and complete annihilation because of their hard-hearted unbelief. So Jesus is correcting them and pointing them back to Him. He's pointing them back to Him. He's like, why? I will heal you. For healing. These women that are mourning for Him need the joy and healing that he is giving them. And they will need healing if they don't turn and believe the gospel. He said, turn away from the corrupt religious establishment and turn to me. Because Jesus heals all of our wounds. He heals sin, guilt, and shame. He heals loneliness by giving us a people, giving us his presence with us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Funny, I was told by a friend of mine the other day that she said, you know, talking about, you know, asking about her friends. And she's like, well, I never really considered the people here at the church as friends. Like, y'all are my family. Y'all, y'all my fam. Toad's fam, bro. Wow, I just judged myself. He <laughs> heals from loneliness. He gives us a people to belong to, a kingdom to be a part of. So we're never alone. We have people that we can call, text, visit with, come over. Hey, let's go get some dinner. Hey, let's go hang out and over coffee. Hey, can I talk to you? I'm really hurting, hurting right now. I'm really struggling. I'm really being tempted right now. Can I come over? Hey, can you just can I just talk to you real quick and, and just I need encouragement. Or hey, I've been praying about you. God put me on put, put you on my heart, and I just want to call in and bless you. I just want to call in and encourage you. I just want to call you and say, hey, thinking about you. I got a text message from my buddy David the you know the other day. 
saying, hey, God put me on my heart. God put you on my heart to pray for. I said, wow, that's amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you, God. He heals us physically. He still does. Like I said, but remember, He doesn't always do it the way that we think or the way that we, that we ask or desire. But He always does. But there's another story. We can have conversations. Jesus heals emotional wounds. He brings restoration by His presence and by our presence. Jesus heals hopelessness by giving us hope and a future, as the Bible says, right? It says in 1 Peter um, chapter 2, For you are all called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. When He was insulted, He did not insult in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but entrusted Himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This This other passage here says, you know, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were you have been healed. That's Jesus' why. That is the joy set before Him. Remember, He is showing you His love. He is showing you His love. Not just saying it. Because He wants you to experience joy. He wants you to experience the flourishing, that shalom. Life as God created it to be. God's heart put on display for you, with you, through you. And if you believe in Jesus, if you place your faith upon Him, you say, Lord, I trust You. I, tr- I believe that You died on the cross and rose again. And I'm putting my whole life in Your hands. Uh, you lead me, God. You created this world and everything in it. I think You kind of know what You're doing. I want to follow You. You're the influencer that I want to follow. Like, subscribe, follow, scroll. I'm going to scroll, scroll your Facebook, Jesus. If you do that, He is faithful and just to, to forgive, a, give, forgive you your sins, your wrong thinking, your wrong judgments, the way that you think life ought to be, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to cleanse you from everything that you've done and everything that has happened to you to heal the guilt and the shame and the sin. The things that have kept you from God. He's never been like, unless he says this and does that, we're going to love him. He's like there going, is he, is he going to, yes, all right, give me a hug. He's like, God is waiting to give you a bear hug. If you'll say yes to the Lord. Yes to Jesus, you will experience His joy. You will experience His love. You will experience His hope. You will experience His presence like like you've never known before. Why? Because He sends you His Holy Spirit. He pours out His Spirit on you and in you and through you like a sponge, like, you know, getting dipped down and sucked up. That's what baptism is. That's what you're about to experience. You're going to be like a, a holy, awesome sponge just soaking in the Spirit of God. So we can walk by Him. Walk by the Spirit of the Lord. Walk by His way, His truth, His life. 
His joy, His strength. Because God knew that we couldn't do any of this on our own. He knew that we first needed Him, and He knew that we needed us. And the joy set before us is this. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His people's. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. That is the hope. That is the joy set before us. We know that all things are going to be made right. They're all going to be set right. And those who put their faith and hope and joy and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ his death, burial, and resurrection. Put their faith, put your faith fully in Christ and His Word. And this is eternal life that is granted to us. This is the joy set before us. Press on. Put your faith in Him. Love Him. Because we can also live this existence today. Even in the struggles, even in the strife, even in the hurts and the garbage and the crap. All around us. And some of us get a deeper and more blatant view of it than others. God is there with us. To help us through that. To give us that hope. To give us that... When we ask that question, God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? God's saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm for you. This world is... Don't... He even said it. This world is going to (laughs) suck. This world is full of zanies and fools. Another song. Old musical. This world is full of evil. This world is full of people doing stupid things to each other. Or accidents happening. Devastation. So changing our posture from saying, Where were you, God? To, I need you, God. That's the only way that you're going to experience His joy. That's the only way that you're going to experience His presence and His hope. Don't wag your finger before the living God. Bend the knee before the living God. Lift your hands to receive His joy, to receive His presence, His 